Well, as you can tell, I'm not Colby. Um, my hat fits better and my clothes fit better than his do. Um, no, but good morning. Um, today is, uh, um, I, I just love it that the storm was rolling in and everybody was worried about having services outside this morning. I got three or four texts and they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, have you guys not read the passage that we're reading yet? Come on now. But anyways, this day, June 27th, 1999, was also a Sunday. You ask me how I know that. Well, I know that because 22 years ago today, on a Sunday, was the first time that Bridget and I went to church as husband and wife. Our wedding was on the 26th at the uh, Pine River Valley Baptist Church. We had our reception at the Ignacio High School gym. We stayed the night in Durango, and then we got up and drove back to Ignacio for church on Sunday morning. Now, I'm not going to say that we've made every Sunday since then. And I'm not going to say that uh, every morning was as easy as that morning to get up. But these 22 years have been... Um, Easier for me than Bridget, I'm sure, at times. And I'm sure that there are times where um, she didn't want to claim me in public, but that's all right. At least she does today, I think. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful morning, for this uh, cloud cover and the light breeze. God, I ask that you would bless these words that uh, you've given to me to to convey, Lord, and in this story that uh, you felt important to include in the scripture. God, I ask that everyone here would have a narrow and focused mind and an open heart today. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Now let's just uh, go over how we've gotten to this point in Mark so far. In Mark 1.1, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. We have an establishment to prophecy, a link to the Old Testament for Jesus Christ. We have John the Baptist making the path for Jesus. Establishing that Jesus is fully God. Then Jesus starts his ministry. He heals sick people, casts out unclean spirits, and starts to call his disciples. Even the demons obey him. And because of this, the people recognize that he has something uh, different about him. And they want to make him king. They want him to be the earthly savior that kicks the Romans out. So instead of allowing the people to do this, Christ goes off in the wilderness into a desolate place to pray. To make sure that he can maintain the will of the Father. Now this is the first of the three recorded times that Jesus goes off to a desolate place. So when he's out there, Simon finds him. And instead of going back to the same people that they were just ministering to, 
Jesus says, let's go find others to preach to. So Jesus heals more people, and he calls Levi the tax collector, the worst sinner according to the religious establishment. In chapter 4, Jesus is sleeping on a boat during a storm that the disciples were afraid was going to sink it. At this point, we see the fear that they have over the chaos of the water and the storm. They wake up Jesus afraid. And so they, he scolds the storm, but he doesn't stop there. He turns to the disciples and he questions their faith. They go through all of that so that Jesus can heal one naked guy, demon-possessed guy. And then they get back in the boats and go across the Sea of Galilee again. Jesus takes them back across to where a woman is healed of her bleeding just by touching his robe. All this while on his way to heal a little girl of being dead. Jesus then took the boys to his hometown to show them what rejection is really like. He sends them out in pairs with his authority to cast out unclean spirits and heal sickness. All this time, John the Baptist is in prison and then is beheaded. The apostles return to Jesus to give an account for what they had done while they were out. And Jesus says, good, it's time to rest. But they don't get much time because a whole bunch of people saw where they were going in their boats and interrupted their rest time. Because they were out away from the villages and, and in the wilderness type area, there was nothing for the crowd to eat. So Jesus uses five loaves and two fishes to feed him, feed them. Now we get to our text. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Immediately, this shows a sense of urgency. We have seen this, and will continue to see this throughout the book of Mark. John Mark uses this word to convey deliberateness, the deliberateness of Jesus in working in his ministries. Jesus sends the apostles on their way so that he can dismiss the crowd. Then Jesus does this thing that he's only done once before and that he'll only do one more time before he goes to the cross. He goes up to the mountain to a desolate place where he can pray and refocus on the mission. This is to keep the people from taking him and making him an earthly king. The last time that Jesus will go and pray is at the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays that if there is any other way to rescue mankind from sin, that the Father would reveal it to him. The importance of Christ going away to focus on the task at hand 
shows us the importance of knowing your calling and not wavering from it. As Jesus is on the mountain, he's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He sees the boat that his disciples are in. Now remember, this is late in the evening when he dismissed the crowd. So it's likely that it is late in the night. Now the Sea of Galilee is about two and a half times the surface area of Navajo Lake. It's 13 miles from north to south and is a little over eight miles at its widest point from east to west. At its deepest, it is just over 140 feet deep. The surface of the water is 800 feet below the surface of the Mediterranean Sea. It is only 30 miles east of the Mediterranean. The, re the, the mountains of the region top out at about 3,300 feet. Now I know some of you all went hiking and went up about that same amount in just about seven miles. Um, these geographical features around the placement of the Sea of Galilee subject the region to frequent windstorms that seem to come out of nowhere. Now I know all you Colorado natives, natives, think that 3,300 feet is not very high. But when you're standing at negative 800 feet and looking up at 3,300 feet, it's similar to us here at around 6,300 feet looking up to 10 and a half or 11,000 feet. So the mountains, there are mountains in other parts of the world, just to be clear. In Luke's account of the feeding of 5,000, we learn that is, the time is near Passover. So the moon would likely be near full. We also know that they are on the kind of the northeast side of the sea. So that they, as we have seen here in the last few nights, the moon has been big and bright. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but the other night it just, um, the kids asked me what was on fire over there because it was so bright. And they just really enjoy, I enjoy the full moon and a clear sky. Um, it used to be that we could see and hear coyotes, but I don't know what's happened this year. There's not any around our place, so hopefully we get those back. But as we know, it makes it easy to see. And when you're in a place like Jesus was at a high elevation, looking out over a, a body of water with a bright moon, you could clearly see to the middle or to the other side. You can imagine that Jesus... In, in Roman standard time, the night is broken up into four watches. Six to nine, nine to twelve, twelve to three, and three to six. Verse 48, it says, And he saw that they were making headway painfully in the wind against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. So this is likely between three and six in the morning. Now, as the wind is blowing, kind of from the north or the northeast, they weren't going very far as when he sent them across, he was really sending them maybe a mile across where he was, where they were at. 
And uh, so they were out probably four miles out into the sea because the wind had blown them off course. Now, we know that the Jewish people are a um, fisherman type for trade. We know that the Sea of Galilee has lots of fish there and lots of commercial operations. But what we don't see in the Jewish people is we don't see that they are a great seafaring nation. They don't go out into the Mediterranean to um, attack other people or places or um, do any of those types of expansion things like, say, the Vikings. The Jewish people treat the water the same way a lot of people treat the dark. They say, I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of the things in the dark that I can't see. While these men are not fearful of the water, they are definitely afraid of what is in the water as they see it as chaos. In Genesis 1-2, it's easy because it's at the beginning. <laughs> Maybe. It says, And the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here we have chaos, no form, nothing solid. Then in verses 6 through 9, God creates separation between the waters and the sky, like the clouds, and the waters on the earth. And then he creates dry land, giving order to the chaos, giving a place of firm to stand. Now among the chaos of the wind and the water, Jesus shows up to bring order. Jesus takes a stroll on the wind-ravaged sea with the purpose of coming up beside the boat. Think of it this way. You're driving out here on 160. You're headed into Durango. And there's a car in front of you. Possibly a Subaru. Can barely maintain the speed. Is having a hard time staying within the lane. And you get up to the red light at Elmore's. Now instinctively you get in the left lane to pass by. And what's the first thing we all do? We look out the passenger window to see, A, do we know the person? But B, do they kind of look as dumb as they drive? But we also look to see if it's somebody that we might be care for. Somebody that might be um, struggling. And say, hey, you know, Johnny, I saw you driving into Durango. Maybe it's time you think about not driving no more. <laughs> That's what Jesus does. He comes up alongside them because he knows they're struggling. He looks into the boat and he says, hey, buddy. That's the translation according to Toby. But instead of recognizing that this is Jesus, these guys think that they are seeing a water spirit or a ghost of some sort. And they freak straight out. 
When in verse 50 it says, For they all... Now let's just read it. For they all saw him, and they were terrified. These guys let out the girly scream. The girly scream that... Um, I enjoy watching on YouTube when I see people getting scared and pranked. It's fun. But these guys were afraid. They were afraid of the point that they didn't know what they were going to do, up or down. And so Jesus says, don't be afraid. It is just me, Jesus. This shows the character of man. That we are in the midst of chaos when we cannot control. God shows up and brings calm. And when we recognize his power, we tend to react with fear. We tend to be um, awestruck to the point of not being able to move. In describing the power of God, Job says in 9.8 Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? This is just another view that we can see that Jesus is tying to his divinity. He is God. By walking on the waves, he is showing through Job only God can walk on the waves. And Jesus steps into the boat, and the winds cease, bringing order out of the chaos. Part of being afraid when they saw Jesus on the water was that they still didn't fully understand that Jesus was God. Just as they didn't understand, it was from the multiplying of the loaves that Jesus is God and alone provides sustenance and protection. Jesus stays in the boat with them. He could have very easily got out and walked instead of having to wait for them to row. Um, as they continue to the west side of the sea, they come to a place a very fertile area of Genesaret. This land it loosely translates to the blessed land that can satisfy many people. <laughs> Basically, it supports life. It's very fertile. And when they're getting out of the boats, the people immediately recognized Jesus and started getting all of their sick people they took them to the marketplaces so that they could be healed. You see, Christianity belongs in the marketplace. It belongs out in the open, on display. It belongs where people can see what it is that God is doing in our lives. Not because we are proud, or because we are boastful. But because Christ, who died on the cross as a propitiation for our sins, that is, he died in our place, that we might have life. 
And then he beat death and rose out of the grave. These people of this region had heard the story of the woman who had been healed of her 12 years of bleeding just by touching the hem of his robe. So they believed, whether in superstition or true faith, that if they could just touch the fringe of his tassels, that they too could be healed. This is because the woman who was healed wasn't afraid to put her faith on display for everyone to see. As we go through the trials of life, our Christianity is not something that we should hide. It's not something that we should store away and keep at the house. These people brought their friends, their sick, their relatives out into the open where Jesus could perform his miracles. Jesus, while he healed in private sometimes, for the most part, we see Christ healing in public. We see Christ doing his work among the people. It's not that we should shy away or be afraid of anything. It's that we should be open. Now, in three weeks, Tyro, we're going on a mission trip. Guys, we're going to put ourselves on display in a place where, well, all but two of us have never been. We're going to put ourselves on display as Christians. And we covet your prayers for this. We covet your prayers of protection because we'll be flying. And I'm not... I know we'll need that. But more so, we covered your prayers for us to individually and as a group to be bold, to be open in the marketplaces, to be willing to say we are Christians, to put our Christianity on display as Christ does. Now, Tyrell, I'm going to ask you directly, unless God has come to you and said you get to heal people, he hasn't said that to me, so I'm not going to be planning on healing anybody. But I do plan on being a channel and a conduit for Christ. Being open and being willing to do whatever it is that's asked of me. And I ask that in these three weeks that you all would lift the 11 of us up in a preparatory prayer. That all of our hearts would be right. That our um, worries of this world, of this place, would not interfere with what work that God has us to do. I ask that when God does miraculous things while we're there, that we're not afraid. I ask that we would be able to recognize it. And I pray for each and every one of you that you would not see a miracle and be afraid, but that you would recognize that it is Christ and God doing it. Now, I know I didn't go as long as Colby, and it's not as hot as when he was up here, but that's okay. We have a time of, 
of communion coming up tonight. And guys, I just ask that you would prepare your hearts as Mr. Gates comes up to um, lead us in that. Let me pray for us real quick. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for this wonderful morning. I thank you for each and every person here. Lord, I thank you that they were willing to come out with the possibility of rain and be outside with me today. God, I thank you that you can show us to that it's okay for us to show off our Christianity for you. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen.